Welcome back to Beyond the Model Asian. Today, we have a very special guest, Morgan Young, a content creator on LinkedIn that not only details her candid processes of achieving academic successes, but also someone who has deeply impacted her followers to pursue what they want wholeheartedly. So with that said, how are you doing today, Morgan? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing very good as well. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Uh, great to hear that you're doing well. So yeah, before we get started, could you introduce yourself and what experiences that you've had? Absolutely. So my name is Morgan Young. I'm 20 years old. I'm currently a junior in my undergraduate studies at the University of Nevada, Reno. I am majoring in computer science and engineering, and I'm minoring in entrepreneurship and math. And in previously, I have been a four-time intern for the Walt Disney Company, working in enterprise technology. And I'm also a cre content creator and public speaker in my little spare time that I have. And that's kind of a little bit about me. And I really, I'm really excited to be here to kind of share my story and share my experiences. Yeah, so um, we actually wanted to ask you before we got into the questions, um, how did you get into LinkedIn and why do you think LinkedIn is an amazing platform that suits your needs? Yeah, so I really, it was something that I really fell into. It was definitely something that was not intentional. I think I made my first LinkedIn post like November of 2020. Was, I was like a freshman in college and I made a post about a hack, like getting second place at a hackathon because I, up until that point, I saw LinkedIn as like a, uh, you know, a virtual resume or, you know, a more professional social media profile with all of your brag stats and achievements. Um, but I had seen people post about that kind of stuff before. So I'm like, oh, I might as well post this. And then I didn't post for like a while even though that one post, the first post I had did decently well. Um, and then when I got my Disney internship, my first one, I was just really excited. It was really just very, it was a very wholesome reason that I started. I just really wanted to remember everything that I learned and all of the fun moments. And I didn't want to forget any of it because not only was it my first internship, it was also kind of what I call my first big girl job because mm. I never like worked in a corporate setting or a tech setting. So I, I just really wanted to document the whole thing. And I knew that if I tried journaling, I would probably fall off within a week. Um, so I wanted to do it in public so I could have something to keep myself accountable. And then after that, like I would say six months after I started posting, I was like, oh, this is something like the whole being a Disney intern, the stories I tell are actually like resonating with people and people actually mm -hmm. want to hear them. Um, and so after that, I was like, well, why don't I just like do this? Like I'll, I'll be intentional with this. And I think LinkedIn is a great platform because built, like other creators on other platforms, other platforms are great, but typically when you're building a, an audience on another platform, it's not typically related to the work that you do. Um, and I think that the reason that I've been able to like balance content creation with my job is because there's a lot of overlap between the two. Like I started out hmm. making content about my job and where I worked. Um, and so that was, that was very like, I felt like LinkedIn was really the only place for me to do that. Like I thought it'd be really weird if I started talking about it, like on Instagram. So LinkedIn kind of just felt like the right place. And now I love it even more because LinkedIn is going very, uh, putting 110%, really putting their money where their mouth is as far as creators go, because, you know, last year they hired um, several creator managers to actually work at LinkedIn to manage LinkedIn to manage creators. They also mm -hmm. had the LinkedIn Creator Accelerator program um, and several other programs that they're doing to help support 
their creators. So I'm, as a as a member of the LinkedIn for Creators program and having been one since last year, uh, I feel like you just get a lot more like support and attention than you would say than being a creator on Instagram and TikTok where there's just so many creators they don't really have the need to put to get like put a concerted effort to support those creators except for the super big ones. Um, so that's kind of why I love LinkedIn as a platform as far as being a creator goes. Yeah, and that's like really cool because I actually didn't know about all those like other features of LinkedIn that is, you know, starting to actually become, I guess, more apparent to those who use it. So yeah, I mean, definitely has become a huge platform today. So thank you so much for explaining about that. And yeah. so before we peer into your current position right now, um, we wanted to ask if your initial plans as a high schooler to attend where you are now is the same or did you have other goals? So this is really funny. You can actually, this article still exists online. I had, my high school did an article about me when I was a senior in high school because wow. I was doing, my high school was really cool. Um, we were a very inclusive school because we were an online high school. And so we served every range of students. We had students who had not made some good choices and were using the school's resources to kind of catch up and get back on track. I even knew that they, I had a couple of uh, classmates who were teen parents. And but then there was the other end of the spectrum. We had a kid graduate at like 10 years old, graduate <gasps> high school at 10 years old. And he, he he's doing his PhD at Davis right now. And he's like 19. Um, and so we had like that end of the spectrum. I was hmm. not that far, but I was closer to that end of the spectrum. And so they were doing an article about me. And I said in that article, I guess the article didn't age very well because I said <laughs> I wanted to go to Stanford. And I was like my dream school. You know, I grew up in Northern California. I think my grandfather, um, my Chinese immigrant grandfather wanted me to go to Stanford and wanted me to go to medical school. Medical school thing was never going to happen, but um, I did want to go to Stanford really badly. And I did not get in. I actually, Stanford was my early decision and I got rejected and it was absolutely devastating. I also applied to uh, four Ivy Leagues and then Duke and then four University of Californias. And I think I got into like two University of Californias, like Santa Barbara and San Diego. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, so Stanford being my first choice, UC San Diego was my second choice and I got into UC San Diego. So it left a lot of people baffled when I chose not to go to UC San Diego. The reason I didn't go was because they did not accept me for their computer science program. And everyone told me, you know, like you can transfer in. And I just knew what it took to transfer in. And I knew that I probably wouldn't be able to achieve that. Just being very realistic with myself. And so I was like, eh, no, that's, that's not for me. So my college plans did not turn out at all like I thought they would. And if anything, like they went and it just, everything just went in a completely different direction as far as my education. But even though that little article didn't age well, I think that despite, you know, my plans not going according to plan, I think, I think it worked out better for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I just actually wanted to ask, you said that you attended UNR. So what challenges did you have com um, coming from what you've coded before? a no-name school or were there ultimately more benefits than challenges so there are definitely challenges with going to a non-name brand school or even just a school that's mm -hmm. not in the top 50. one of the things is you're going to have to like kind of fight a stereotype because um like the lower rank schools tend to attract lower achieving students which is not that's the stereotype that is not necessarily true 
that's mm-hmm. just been a stereotype that has been formulated over the past. Um, right. And so that's kind of a stereotype that I've had to had to fight. And on top of it, like there are just straight up some opportunities. Like to give you guys a very specific example, there's this uh, venture capital fellowship called Pair, and they only accept students from their campus, their their target campuses, which is Harvard, Stanford, and a few other private schools. So oh, wow. there are just straight up some opportunities that you are just barred from, which really sucks. But at the same time, you know, as far as the benefits exceeding the challenges, I think that if you are, you know, someone who kind of fit my profile and was a outstanding high school student, but not an exceptional high school student, um, and chose to go to a non-name brand state university, you can stand it. There, there is something to be said about being a, a big fish and a little pond because coming, having the background that I did and continuing to build on that where I am now made me stand out a lot more. And so rather than having to like fight a stereotype in some situations, I just blew some people's minds and others because they're like, oh, wow, you come from that school. I wouldn't have expected that out of you. Um, and to top it off, I've gotten like opportunities like mentors in particular from like this local area that I don't think I would have been able to get for the sake of not being able to stand out as much at another school. And then I will say that like just this location has like, I think it's really allowed me to thrive. Like I like the fact that my school culture is a little bit more sports focused and like socially focused because even though I don't relate to a lot of the kids out here for that reason, because I'm super career oriented, it's nice to have a culture that's more laid back and, you know, let's go to the game on Friday night or, you know, let's go to the, to the rally. Let's go to the the after party, you know? And I don't do that all the time, but it definitely helps me strike a balance. So I would say that for me personally, the benefit out, the benefits outweighed the challenges since I was able to overcome those challenges. And if anything, now it's just more of like, it's more impressive. Like I just found out actually a couple hours ago, I just got accepted into a venture capital fellowship that mostly only accepts students from top 50 schools. Mm. Um, And go figure, I was recommended to it by my friend who goes to Harvard. But, you know, now that's kind of Mm. just been like the theme of my life of like, oh yeah, you're the kid from the non-target school. And that's, that's a, that's a positive thing, you know, because it Mm -hmm. just shows like I had to overcome a lot of challenges to get here. But in my case, I think the benefits outweigh the challenges. That might not be the case for everyone, but that's how it worked out for me. Yeah, so, I mean, actually, I wanted to ask you a question before um, Andrew went, but you mentioned going to high school in Northern California, right? Yep. Yeah, so uh, UNR is in Nevada, if I'm correct? Yes. As hence by the name. Okay, so did you or did you not apply to safeties in California? Um, What made you decide to go from California to Nevada, especially since people would argue that there's more opportunities in California? Sure. Yeah. So I was, I was asked the same questions by my family. (laughs) Um, So I did, I actually only applied to safeties out of state. And the reason was, was that I did not feel like I, I, I like, okay. Like my cousin went, goes to uh, San Jose state right now. I have mm-hmm. a lot of friends who ended up going to Cal state long beach. None of the CSUs really like resonated with me. Like I didn't feel like I was a good fit with their campus or culture. Mm-hmm. The funniest one I got was how come you didn't apply to Davis or Sac state? And I'm like, cause I wanted to move away from home period. Like <laughs> I needed to, first of all, like, don't get me wrong. I love my parents, but they were just a little helicopter when I was in high school. 
And I really needed to have some independence. And I knew that I would not be able to ever achieve that if I stayed home, uh, especially for school, you know, and, and Sac State's my mom's alma mater. Um, and UC Davis is also pretty close to home. So I was like, I don't really want that for myself. So um, I probably could have got reasonably gotten into both. And I didn't apply to those schools because I just wanted, really wanted to get away. Um, and for that same reason, that's also why I applied to out of states is because I really just felt the need for this, this independence. So I did not apply to any uh, safeties in state. It's also, uh, I, w- I also want to point out, I did not understand the concept of a reach of safety and a target when I was applying to schools. I only realized it kind of after I did the majority of my applications and I actually got really lucky. So I meant to say, talk about this earlier, but I think that getting rejected from Stanford ED was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because it woke me up, gave me kind of a much needed reality check because I actually had not applied to any safety schools at that point. And so that kind of, you know, triggered me to like, okay, let me, let me apply to, let me explore my options and let me apply to some safety schools. Um, oh, and then the biggest thing was uh, by going out of state, I was actually able to get bigger scholarships, uh, merit-based scholarships from the schools that I was applying to, oh. as opposed to going uh, to CSUs. Cause CSUs don't give a lot of like merit-based scholarships, mm-hmm. but you'd be surprised a lot of out-of-state schools do. And everyone counters back with the whole like out-of-state tuition. Again, a lot of people don't know about this. There's this program called Western Undergrad Exchange. Almost all of the colleges on the Western seaboard, um, except for the UCs, participate in it. And it's basically where you don't pay out-of-state tuition, but it's just a little bit more than in-state tuition. At my particular school, um, it was 150% of in-state. So significantly less still than out-of-state. And I also, uh, I I go to school on military benefits and I have an amazing VA advocate and she was able to find some loophole in the legislation that I used um to get me in-state tuition so now i don't pay anything for school out of pocket wow i mean yeah that makes so much more sense actually as to why you decided to you know try to get out of california and you know i actually didn't know about uh like the organization that you were talking about that actually like helped with the tuition so wow you learn something new every day thank you for telling us about yeah um yeah so you did mention that you applied to stanford and some other of those some other like you know so-called high brand name schools. So would you say there's like any bearing that comes with attending a prestigious school like that? There definitely is socially, especially while you're in college. Mm-hmm. There's like, it, it's, I call it social capital. You know, you say uh... that you go to Harvard, immediately people view you a certain way. And mm-hmm. in a sense, it's like our modern day version of social classes in a sense. Oh. Um, and on top of it, you know, there's the networking aspect of it. If you, you know, Harvard and and places like Harvard, Stanford, and Yale, their class sizes are really small. And so their communities are also very tight as well. So it's a very small world, uh, no pun intended, um, as far as those (laughs) communities go, especially the alumni networks. So if you are in a job interview and you go meet someone, they're like, oh yeah, I went to Harvard too. Like I was class of yada, yada, yada. You're probably involved in the same student organizations. Maybe you even had the same professors if you're close in age. So it definitely has some social bearing, but mm-hmm. other than that, not really. Like I, I, I've talked about this in my content, but some schools definitely have like more superior like career resources. They have more up-to-date like resume templates, cover letter templates, interview coaching, all this stuff. Um, and like I said, you do have the network, which can definitely uh, come in handy. But other than those things, it doesn't really have a bearing. Like having Harvard on your resume will not get you a job over someone else. And I can say that because I have gotten jobs over people that have gone to bigger schools. 
I remember in one of my interviews, unfortunately I didn't get this job, but um, it was for a company out of uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, and they almost exclusively recruited from MIT. I was the <laughs> one black sheep. I was the one odd one out. And somehow I beat a bunch of MIT kids out all the way to the final round until I was one of the last two standing. I did not get that job, but the fact that I was the only kid in the pool of like all MIT and I beat some of them out, I was like, well, I'm validated. (laughs) (laughs) So it definitely doesn't have any bearing beyond social capital, but I will say that some of those advantages that those kids have at those schools, like the better career resources and the coaching and the alumni network, you can find those resources online for free. Like, I mean, there's several other content creators like me that get create content about this kind of stuff for free. And there's also like several, you know, like online resources, like little plug here and another uh, AAPI shout out, but one Salting, I love them. They have a lot of free resources on their website and I've actually used them before. I think I used their resume template actually. And oh, wow. on top of that, like the network, the beauty of the internet is that it's kind of leveled the playing field. You don't have to go to Harvard anymore to meet people that go to Harvard. I have friends at Harvard that I didn't meet before I went, before I went to college. I've met them while being in college through conferences, internships, organizations, et cetera. And that you, so you don't, you don't need to go to that school to get that network. You, you just have to be a little bit more proactive if you don't have access to that network by going to that school. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's really impressive that you were able to make it to that point. I mean, competing with all of these students from prestigious schools is mind-blowing, but it's just really nice that you're allowing for others on LinkedIn to gain access to your advice, to what you've done. That being said, did you have any personal projects or any other uh, online links that you've shared on LinkedIn? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I've had quite a few projects. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I've put a pause on them for the last like couple of years because I've been really focused on schoolwork and then building out um, my brand. I have, I'm working on a bunch of brand partnerships right now. But I will tell you guys about a couple mm-hmm. of upcoming things I'm doing. So I am involved. I'm a strategic advisor to a nonprofit called Network Her, and that is a, a nonprofit that helps high school age women identifying students to find mentors in the STEM space to help them kind of find their way if they're interested in STEM. And I'm also on the board, the, board, the advisory board for the National Center for Women in Information Technology in Nevada. And a couple of upcoming projects that I have that I'm hoping to start, I'll be starting a newsletter called Zooming to the Top. And that's kind of a play on the word Zoomers like Generation Zs, where <laughs> I will be interviewing other Gen Zers that are Zooming to the top of their careers in their industry, basically just doing really, really well. And I will also, I'm working on a newsletter right now that's a lot more casual, but it's kind of just like, I'm going to do it once a week and it's just going to be lessons from my life, whether that's professional, career, adulting, or personal. And then I I am, I just got this idea and this is very much still in the brainstorm phase, but uh, I read an article in the New York Times about how students from non-target schools, i.e. I'm one of them, how really struggle to get it also typically these are also minority students that can't afford to go to like they can't afford these bigger universities they had they struggle to get connected and to get those big tech big finance big consulting internships because they just don't have the network so i'm hoping to create a community called the non-target network where i'm going to connect students from non-target schools with recruiters from bigger companies and one might wonder you know how would you get you know recruiters from those companies to 
uh, engage in that. Well, a lot of these companies are now kind of hopping on the bandwagon of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And a lot of them actually want to target non-target schools now uh, for the sake of they have a lot more, um, a lot, a lot more diverse pool of candidates. So that's a couple of projects that are coming up. Yeah, so especially with newsletters and um, other upcoming projects and the ideas that you're brainstorming right now, we're actually looking forward to it, especially since we're both very active on LinkedIn. And of course, as we said previously, we've seen you a lot as a content creator on LinkedIn. But with that being said, I just wanted to add on and ask from um, previous context that you've given us, how did you balance your academic workload with extracurricular activities and or work experience? Yeah, so number one is you gotta establish your priorities. When I started school, it didn't take me very long to realize that my, I mentioned this actually, my school is not very career oriented, it's more sports and social oriented, and that's perfectly fine. But the result of that is that the typical professional organizations or, you know, officer roles that you would take on campus to, you know, advance your career, they don't do so much for that. So I kind of made this conscious decision, like, I want to focus on my career and I want to focus on advancing my career. So I'm not going to take part a lot in like, I'm not super involved on campus. Like I'm in, I'm in clubs and orgs, but I'm not an officer. I do not hold any officer positions in any of my clubs and orgs which is very shocking to some people because with how much I speak up and how much I do public speaking, everyone's like, how come you don't become an ASUN, which is Associated Students of the University of Nevada Senator, or you don't, you know, become Honors College uh, Council President? And I'm like, eh, because like, if I did that, I wouldn't have time to do all the other things that I do. So priorities is number one. The second thing is making time for yourself. Like people really underestimate people think like, how do you have the time to do those things? Like, I don't necessarily have the time. I make the time because if I don't make the time, I get burnt out, I get stressed out and I crash. And when I crash, I am no good. So I have no, I have no choice but to make the time for myself, my friends, my family, my boyfriend, because that is the time where I unwind, I relax. I'm an extrovert. So I recharge by being around people. So I have to make that time in order to keep functioning. And then lastly is the 80-20 rule. And that rule is 80% of your results come from 20% of your efforts. And so if you just trial and error with your life a little bit, you will be able to figure out where that 80% of effort that's not producing anything is, or sorry, yeah, um, yeah, 80% of your efforts that's not producing anything, you're going to be able to figure out where that is and you're going to cut it out. And that's essentially what I've done is through trial and error, I'm like, okay, what, what time am I spending on things that isn't actually doing anything for me or helping me in any way? And a little getting more nitty gritty into this, this rule that I use for myself, constantly, like, I want to say every month, stop yourself and ask, and the things that I am doing, like the things that I'm doing in my daily life, are these things getting me closer to my objectives and are they making me happy and are they fulfilling me and if you can't find an answer to a to that question for a particular activity drop it i don't consider that like being a quitter i consider that you know staying lean uh and like i said finding where you can cut out where you're not getting results because you'll be able to just optimize your time and make so much more because we all have the same 24 hours and i do sleep Mm -hmm. i sleep seven eight hours a night so obviously it's not there So I cut out things that aren't necessarily producing any results or 
aren't fulfilling me or aren't getting me any closer to my goals. So prioritization, making time for the important stuff, like things that support your mental health and the 80, 20 rule. That's how I manage everything. Yeah. And I think that all these like strategies that you've developed has been a huge part because of how you like develop being like independent and Earlier, you were mentioning having helicopter parents throughout your academic life in high school. So with that said, how do you think Asian youth like ourselves should come to terms with our parents that have set rigid standards upon us as to how we should live our lives? And if you have any advice about that. Yeah. So first thing I'm going to say is that it may not seem like it, but your parents love you. And even if they don't (laughs) say it, they are proud of you. And just know that they were raised a certain way. Like I, I talk about this now that I've been an adult for two years, I have found that I've had a lot more adult conversations with my parents and I've learned why they did some of the things that they did. I'm not saying they're right about everything, but I understand why. And like, for example, you know, some of the standards that they said, they were raised a certain way. Mm-hmm. Nobody gives you a perfect textbook on how to be an ideal parent. You just kind of do what your parents showed you. And so that's kind of why I understand some of the things that my parents did. So understand that about your parents, that they're doing their best and they're really just doing what they were probably taught. So don't let it get to you too much. I know that's hard because, you know, until you become an adult, you don't really have that freedom and independence. So you're kind of like, you're kind of surrounded by it. And in a sense, you're kind of trapped by it. But Mm -hmm. when you're, you know, in these years of, you know, junior in high school, senior in high school, you are very close to becoming an adult. And you are going to have to start thinking for yourself and know that your parents are not always going to be there looking over your shoulder or, you know, in your head telling you stuff. So that's a transitional period and use that transitional period to start thinking more of the mindset. It's it's not really about what my parents want. It's about what I want because in the next 10 years, the decisions that I make are only going to affect me. They're not going to affect my parents and it's not necessarily, you know, it's not my parents' future. It's my future. So, and I know that's hard. Like I I really get how hard that is to grapple with as, you know, an Asian American teenager, because we're, you know, our, our parents, we just listen to our parents, no questions asked, but, and I'm not saying you should question your parents, but what I am saying is you should start to kind of think about, think of that, think with that mindset of how is this decision going to affect me? Not what my parent thinks, but how is this decision going to affect me? And you'll be able to do it more and more and more as you become an adult and as you become more independent, but start doing that like now, not, not so much vocally, (laughs) um, but just, Mm -hmm. just start thinking about it. Right. That's super helpful, especially for the younger Asians like us. So thank you for that. You also briefly mentioned that you cherish and prioritize certain people in your life so is there anyone in particular that has been your rock anyone that has stabilized you or helped you get to where you are now in other words so before i left the house it was definitely my mom my me and my mom it's so funny because we like i mean we really butt heads sometimes but she is still the person that i go to about everything and she's been my she she was my number one supporter and she's still, she still is. She's like, I call her my, you know, she's my biggest hype woman. She really supports me in everything that I do. Not only has she supported me in everything I do, but she's helped me actually get into a lot of the things that I've done. She's helped me discover my passions, discover my hobbies, things that I like to do. And, you know, I was a child actor and a competitive athlete and the person driving me to all of the auditions, all of the jobs, all of the competitions, doing my makeup and hair until I learned how to do it myself because 
I love my mom, but Nick Barta, <laughs> she's not. Especially, she can do it on herself, just not on other people. Um, and also, she would like, like, moms are not super gentle with hair. So, like, they're very much a blessing <laughs> I when I learned really. how to do my hair on my own. So, yeah. Um, but other, uh, you know, she was the one doing all of that for me. She was the one, you know, I did pageants. She was the one taking all the pictures, making sure that I prepared. She was the one, you know, she, she was my, my biggest supporter in all of that. And now mm -hmm. as, you know, as an adult and as long as I've, I've, I've known my boyfriend, he has been my biggest supporter. He calls himself my number one fan. And now instead mm -hmm. of my mom being there, doing my makeup, driving me to the event and doing my hair, my boyfriend drives me to the event and <laughs> he holds my purse and he takes the pictures and takes the videos and they're there. And if my mom is my biggest hype woman, my boyfriend is my biggest hype man or cheerleader, whatever you want to, however mm -hmm. you want to put it. They have definitely been, um, my, they've been my rocks. And, you know, I haven't mentioned my dad a lot, but my dad is also, I said, my mom's my hype woman. My dad is kind of the one that humbles me. <laughs> um, and brings me back down to earth when my head gets a little too big. And I mean that in the best way possible. I love my dad. And my dad is really the one that I go to for more like, I guess, like solemn advice and more like very deep thinking because my dad's, my dad's an engineer. Both my parents are engineers, but my dad has the engineer's mind. He's uh, like very, you know, philosophical, deep in thought, analytical, that kind of guy. Um, yeah. But just hyping me up. Yeah, that's my mom and my boyfriend for sure. <laughs> Well, that's great that you have some hype people in your life. You know, mm -hmm. really great to hear. And so, yeah, um, we've already taken up a lot of your time. So finally, we just want to ask you if you have any other advice for not just those that catch up with you on LinkedIn, but for the fellow academics out there. Be kind to yourself and don't be hard on yourself. When I was younger, I used to have really, really high standards for myself. And I'm, I'm going to guess that was for my parents. And when I say that, I mean, in the academic setting, like I would kind of lose it if I got lower than an A, which I'm sure all of you guys can relate to. Yeah. But yeah. I got to a community college and I, I did community college as a dual enrolled student in high school. And I was shell shocked because I didn't realize how fast paced college was. And I wasn't used to it. So I got a B in calculus one. Mind you, it took me a little bit to realize that a 15 year old getting a B in calculus one for engineers amongst a bunch of 20 something year olds yeah. having not stepped on a school, physical school campus since I was eight. So seven years, um, cause I was homeschooled. Mm -hmm. It wasn't so bad. And I also realized a lot later, man, that really didn't matter at all. And I think I got another B somewhere in community college and then I'm not, I'm not glorifying this in any way, but I've gotten even worse grades being in university now and I'm okay with it. Like I yeah. am a lot, I'm, I'm a lot more forgiving of myself, uh, especially in engineering. Engineering is a hard degree. So, you know, a pass is, is a good thing, uh, regardless of what level of pass you got. So be kind to yourself and you know, you will look back on this in 10, 20 years and you're going to be like, ah, that didn't even matter. I shouldn't have you know, lost any sleep or, you know, had any negative emotions over this. Cause it just, it just is what it is. And I will say also, you know, being Asian American, big piece of advice that's not often talked about enough is you prioritize your mental health because I've been that person that hasn't several times in their life and I paid for it later, like really badly. Um, so it's always better to prioritize your mental health over everything else. The way my dad puts it is if you can't take care of yourself, you won't be able to function and do anything else. You have to put it first. Mm -hmm. So be kind to yourself, 
prioritize your mental health and don't forget to enjoy the journey. That's like my biggest thing is you, your life is going to go so fast, especially once you get to college, like everything goes so fast. Mm-hmm. Enjoy the journey while you're taking it. And don't just, uh, don't just be so focused on school because school is just really like one aspect of life. Um, let me put it this way. When I was a competitive athlete, I started experiencing really bad and severe, like chronic anxiety. And it destroyed me because I only knew myself as one identity. And that was as a competitive figure skater. And mm-hmm. when I didn't have that anymore, I got really, really lost because I was like, if I don't have this, who am I? Because you are as an academic, you are so much more than just a student and just an academic. You have so much more to give the world. You have so much more to your identity than just a grade. And if you, when you start, when you come to realize that all of the pressure will be taken off because, you know, I, I stopped figure skating for a while because I was so, it just just destroyed my mental health, but I got back into it as an adult in 2021 and I went and did a competition and not only did I win, I won three titles and I did not have an anxiety attack. That's not a single anxiety attack while I was there. And Mm -hmm. I honestly just think it's because at that point I had an identity outside of being a figure skater. I was also a college student. I was also working at the time. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to go back to work on Tuesday. I'm going to go back to school on Monday. If I fall on my face today, it's not going to make a difference. I'm going to get up. I'm going to get off. And luckily I was also in Vegas too. So I was like, I'm going to go get something to eat and (laughs) that's going to be it. And once you realize that, and once you have that pressure off of you, you're actually going to do better in everything that you do. So know that you have an identity outside of being a student and being an academic. And I highly encourage you to hit that point sooner rather than later because your mental health and your future will thank you for it. So prioritize your mental health and enjoy the journey. Wow, what an incredible mindset. And I feel like everyone should really uphold that mindset because you're right. I'm sure that it ensures better performance overall in everything. So really, um, thank you for sharing that with us. With us. And Thank you so much for joining us today on our podcast, Morgan. Um, we really do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about your journey so far and how you've come to where you are today. I appreciate you guys having me and giving me the platform to share my story. Of, of course. course. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And we wish you the best in your future endeavors. And with that, we hope our listeners were able to learn with us today. And so until next time, as you go more into depth about what really goes beyond the model Asian.